Hello and welcome to The Train Rush with your host Craig Taylor and Dave Moss. Think of us as the timetable change that's going to delay all your trains. That's actually probably quite topical really, um, as we've been a little bit delayed I think in recording this episode. So um, firstly I guess you know, thank you to everyone for listening to us recently uh, you know, and interacting with us across social media. Response has been fantastic, I think we're both extremely pleased by what we've got and... Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, as I say, we can apologise for the delay in getting another episode out to you guys, but we're busy researching, playing games. Obviously, that's the key thing we've got to do, really. That's what's keeping us busy at the moment, isn't it? That and trying to work out the focus for the channel. We've had a lot of feedback from you guys out there, which we're grateful to receive. And it's impossible to serve the entire you know, the entire train game audience perfectly. So we're trying to work out which part of the audience benefits the most from what we can deliver, I guess, Dave. Yeah, and we'll, we'll you know we're going to try some things. We'll see what sticks, what doesn't stick. So keep giving us feedback, mm. uh, and hopefully we'll we'll learn from it, and we'll we'll keep keep you listening. That's the main aim of the thing, really, isn't it? Absolutely, and I would say that personally, I've been absolutely overwhelmed by the feedback to the point which is why I wanted to spend some time working out what we're doing right and making sure we make the best of it. So everybody who's listening gets the best Craig and Dave they can get. Definitely. So, without further ado, I think um, we've got a couple of bits to pick up on some of the news items we talked about last time round. So, Iron Clays is quite a hot topic at the moment, really, isn't it? So, so for those of you that don't know, they're the poker chips that come in the Brass set, uh, published by Roxley Games. And um, we touched on it briefly because Brass had just been delivered when we recorded the last episode. But, um, I mean, I know you were keen to know what the chips were like. Obviously, we, we've got them out and had a look at them now. I think, you know... They're a little bit lighter than, than maybe I was hoping for, but they're absolutely functional and, and, and really good for the game. Uh, you know, so I'm I'm pleased with them to have them as part of that. But um, Craig, do you want to talk about them? Well, I've definitely detail? got I've definitely got some thoughts on these. I've seen your set and I had a look at some at HandyCon, and as a product, I think they're they're nice looking chips. Uh, they use non-standard colours, which everybody's aware of who's seen seen pictures of them. No problems there as far as I'm concerned. They're the only set I'd be likely to have. Importantly, Roxley have confirmed that there is going to be a dedicated Kickstarter for these. And they're starting to talk on Board Game Geek with potential consumers about what the 18xx audience would need from a working set. Some of their published numbers for the denominations and spread are a little bit, um, I'm not going to say rope is a bit unfair, but... I think you'd say it's not everyone's preferred denomination, preferred splits, uh, you know, or bank size. I think it could be more robust than that. I don't think they're even workable for 1830. They were under-egging it on the number of low-density low chips, so you didn't have enough ones to cover all the potential positions for 1830, yeah. which at that stage, when you're sticking tons of 500 chips in there and it can serve banks of 30,000... You're kind of missing the point. Realistically, most people would be happy to buy one box set that serves, say, fifteen thousand bank that had enough chips, had enough low number chips in there that you can that serve you can a normal play game. That early stage of the game, yeah, absolutely. That's that's a key part of any poker mm. chip set, really. That said, your observation on the weights, I'm fine with the, that. They're casino weight chips, so they're a bit not premium weight chips. It's lighter than you might get from an ultra premium home set. I guess there's one observation that others have made that I, does does resonate, does resonate with me. They're a little bit slidey. So yeah. when, when you're handling them and you're stacking them, there's a, a greater potential of them falling over than normal poker chips. I guess it's a, it's a compromise you're making here, right? You are, I love the look. I love mm. the fact they're not covered in, in card suits or you know Casino Royale or whatever. So for me, I'm willing to accept the fact they're a touch slidier to get the look they have. 
Of course, if you're more about the tactile side of it, the actual physical touching, then maybe these aren't the chips for you. Details on the on the Roxy stuff still coming. You can still contribute on that thread on the Geek if you have yeah, a strong opinion. I, I think you tweeted the link to it out uh, a, a while back. So, so yeah, I mean, check out our Twitter feed. Go and um, go and link. Go go and join the conversation. You know, feed into it. And I think is the Kickstarter scheduled to come late this year I think isn't it it's late this year although they've been a bit cagey the dates aren't officially released yet and I can understand why they want to, I think they want to lock down their offerings across the whole thing you've got to remember the 18xx community for this is part of it they're looking at these chips as gaming chips they want to make a functional them accept- set for, for gamers to play with you know absolutely but 18xx are, are part and part of that and obviously they want to make sure they're trying to account absolutely. for, for but, you know for as many people as they can so interesting let's keep our eyes on it Moving on to actual games as opposed to games accessories, big news uh, last couple of weeks has been the uh, pre-orders opening up for 1883, uh, designed by Mario Manzini of 1841 fame, I believe, Dave. I think so. The key attributes of this perspective design are it involves a dice, some randomization, um, event cards, a la, I guess in my head I'm thinking more like Twilight Struggle, and um, some mitigation factors that you can play around. You can buy political favour to mitigate the random events. Um, some elements, so some non-deterministic elements in uh, what's largely seen as a deterministic <laughs> game genre. High risk, high, high risk, high reward, maybe. Or I don't know. The, the the buzz I'm getting back online is most most players are worried about the prospects of these things. My position is slightly different. I like to reward innovation. Um, as such, it's quite low price on the pre-order basis for an 18xx, circa £50. Uh, was it circa €50, Euros rather? €55 Euros plus fairly, fairly good shipping rates mm. across Europe. Um, obviously, that may affect some of us who are not going to be part of Europe in the not-too-distant future. Sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, as you say, it's, it's, it seems to have been quite decisive. Some people are, uh, as you say, not liking the random nature of it. Uh, it does seem as though there are ways of mitigating that randomness. Um, I think... You know, I'm sat on the fence at the moment. I, I, I'm intrigued. The price point has me tempted. Uh, I haven't ordered yet. I know you have. So so we're going to have a copy at least between us. Hmm. Um, I may waver. Uh, and as I've said many times before, a fool and his money are easily parted. So I think there's a fair probability I end up caving before the end of pre-orders. But um, I, let- should, I should take your position. And if the price was higher, I would probably take your position. I'm just at the moment. I'm at the thing where I'm liking to. I'm liking seeing more innovation inside 18xx. Yeah. So I'm happy to see this not fall completely flat on its face. If it encourages designers to subvert the format a little bit. Yep. Um. I I hear you can tell me about another game now, Dave. Yeah. So following on from our updates the other week about uh, stuff coming from from Marflow Games, uh, there's also been another new one that's teased out. Uh, 18 Baltic States. Uh, so that's going to be a game from Edwin Eckert, who did 1893 Cologne, which mm-hmm. I, I've got, um, and we'll we'll definitely be talking about in a future episode. Um, that seems to to obviously work with some different gauges of trains and and ferry links between the various Baltic states. So there seems to be lots of interesting little things going on. Um, at the moment, there is only a small paragraph of information uh, on Board Game Geek. I think. It's not clear whether it's it's Essen 2018 or I suspect it's more likely to be a 2019 release. So we'll uh, we'll keep our eyes on that, and as soon as Marflow shares some more details, then we'll uh, we'll look to it. And, and I'm pretty sure again that, that maybe that'll be one that I pre-order uh, instead. Well, hopefully it'll make Essen, and if it makes Essen, I'll definitely pick up a copy. Yeah. That said, if it's only just come on the geek and it's one paragraph, I have my doubts. I, I agree. I think it's likely to be one of their 2019 releases. 
Talking, talking of other games that are coming, reprints of stuff. Tom Russell's got a reprint coming out, hasn't he? Tom Russell of Holland Spiel fame. Kindly this week did a nice designer diary talking to the development process, uh, well, design and development process of Northern Pacific, a 20, uh, 2013 game. It's going to be re-released uh, this year by Rio Grande. Mm. It's quite interesting. Some insight into the winsome and development process and the value add that John Borer adds to the whole thing and a bit of an insight into that guy as well yeah it's very interesting to read that designer diary definitely it's, it's certainly it's certainly not an 18xx style train game right it's more of an abstract that happens to use trains as a setting I'm super interested to get a copy of that it's already I've already put a order with our local retailer second that comes on the is the EVM order list just grab me a copy it's, yep, it's yep. Auto- that'll be two copies we sell because I, I like some of the games that Tom Russell does you know both in terms of the Holland Spiel stuff and also um, the one he did in last year's Winsome Set one of the Cube Rails games that was excellent and mm. um, again that's one we got on the to play list and we'll be trying to review in future future episode don't overcommit us Dave don't overcommit us <laughs> um, anything, any, anything to talk about that isn't um games or accessories I guess well I guess you know aside from talking about the games we can just talk about how to play them and and obviously conventions it is that season throughout the, the you know everywhere are hosting conventions and stuff and, and I know Stone Board Game Geek that uh, they're hosting their first 18xx convention in Belgium in Mechelen yeah I read about this on Rails on Boards uh, the Polish guys oh, yeah, who yeah, did yeah. a blog uh, gave, gave it a bit of um, face time promotion yeah, yeah. yeah it's interesting it's a shame that <laughs> I wish I was aware of it prior because it's next week, the summer one. Although there is a December date that I think we're both interested in. Yeah, absolutely. Going I think to. I think we might have to have a train rush road trip. Uh, obviously, no, that doesn't use any trains, but um, but yeah, I mean yeah. Belgium. Why wouldn't we want to go and play eight and XX and drink some Belgian beer? Or certainly, I'd want to do that side of it. Well, um, I I don't want to lower my standard of play any lower than it presently is. So <laughs> it just makes me forget the losses if I drink the beer. So um, yeah, we're, we're gonna we're gonna keep our eyes on that. We hope it goes well for for everyone in Belgium. And and if you are gonna do a winter one, then then we'll hopefully see if we can come and join you for that. Um, and over here in the UK, we've also recently just had another convention, uh, which you went along to. I didn't managed to make but uh, sure tell us about your handycon experiences the handycon is interesting it's a general board gaming convention i won't labor on it too long because if you're not in the uk and you haven't got access to it it's probably pretty boring but it did have an 18xx room and it's had an 18xx room for a number of years uh my first time there uh 30 players made it this year which was pretty cool they had a tournament which uh my good wife managed to come sick thin and i managed to come stone bonkers last in so that was a Good fun. I only I only decided to play two games over the whole weekend. I just wasn't I wasn't in the right frame of mind. I won't lie. Every move, every decision I was making was the wrong decision, and I could see it the second after play moved on that it was a catastrophically dumb decision. Although there was still some benefit, it was interesting to play eighteen forty nine again, and playing eighteen forty six with some very expert players opened my eyes up to a few more dimensions and depths of that title that I was somewhat unaware of previously. Definitely giving me food for thoughts on how to demolish folks in a game that you wouldn't necessarily think on first blush it's possible to do so. Yeah, I, I, I've been up to Handicom one of the previous ones before and again, you, if you get on a table with the, the experienced guys uh, it's it's a great learning experience and you kind of just have to, to go along for the ride. Uh, is that my first train part of the episode? Uh, no, it's, it's dripping in them, Dave. I'm having to scrape, <laughs> scrape them off with a cudgel. Um, one thing I do want to say, last thing on Handicom, I want to say thanks to Colin Smith for running it yes um, he yeah. puts a lot of he puts a lot of effort into that he bought a library of it must have been it, thick end of 70 games it's his personal collection personal and, collection yeah. and I'll be honest 
I would, if it was my personal collection there, I would be having the jitters all weekends, worrying about rough handling. Now, I know, 18, I know 18xx players are generally polite people that wouldn't mishandle stuff, but nonetheless, thousands of pounds worth of clobber like that on public display, I'd be worried. So credit to him. Absolutely. Lugging it up there, letting people use it. He's truly a gentleman. Indeed. So, so without further ado, um, should we head on to actually talk to you about the game we're going to review today? Absolutely. We'll uh, timestamp this so you can fast forward to it if you so wish. <laughs> so, um, today we're going to move on to our first non-18XX. Um, so I know that may come as a shock to some of you. Um, our brief was definitely to kind of look across the entire train gaming spectrum. Um, so we're going to try this one. We're going to hopefully see how it goes. Hope we don't lose anyone along the way. Ticket to ride, Dave? Not quite going there yet. Oh, okay. No, I, th- I think well, I think we're going to stay still closer to home. Really, uh, okay. ticket to ride might be the Christmas special, I guess. Really, um, but no. What we're going to do today is we're going to talk about North American Railways. Um, so that's a game that came out in 2016. Uh, it was published originally by Spielworks, their first edition. Um, Spielworks usually do quite small print runs of their first editions, um, and, and hope to obviously get someone else who's going to going to take it on and make it a bigger and better thing uh, further down the line. But but you know, Spielworks are renowned for their decent heavy games uh, it's designed by Pierre Sylvester who's got a uh, great pedigree no king of Siam Vincent das Volt, which is a fantastic two-player game uh, around the, the fall of the Berlin Wall uh, Singapore is one of his other games so you know there's a there's a lot of uh, you know real credibility behind this title and and following that model through absolutely the um uh, it has been republished. I think it got reprinted this year. Um, and it was reprinted by Flying Lima Games. It came out in the spring. Uh, and over here in the UK, Surprise Stair Games uh, picked it up and published it. And I know they had copies available uh, for sale at UK Games Expo. And I think they, they've still got them for sale now. So um, that's enough kind of about the overview of what the game is. But maybe, Craig, can you take our listeners through through a bit of an overview of what, what the game is and how it runs? I would argue that was an overview on how it came to be printed. But what's the game? <laughs> (laughs) So if you want to hear what a game is in one sentence, if these anchor references mean anything to you, great. So for me, it's two parts 18xx, one part Neuheimat. Okay, I'll explain. So we will explain what those references mean for the purposes of anybody who's not heard of Neuheimat. Or or, or the estates, as you might not really want to call it, I think. It's not the estates, it's Neuheimat, Dave. Let's not have an argument over that. So in North American Railways, there will be two flops of cards on the table. One representing shares that are available to purchase in the various companies that can operate in the game. And, and they're straightforward, just coloured. One piece of card is one share. And there is a flop of railways, of stations, that the various companies can, between them, buy to improve the value of the, the associated railway network. Now, the rub here is that you're only, from each of these sets of cards, they're separated into four columns, each set, you can only interact with the cards on the bottom of the columns. So you have to work up the columns. As the game progresses, the game to, progresses. to be able to access things. So you have to take the lowest in each column away to be able to access things quite higher. So you shuffle. typically you shuffle the decks of all the shares, bar two, you burn two out every game, and you create a unique spread of shares. Okay, same with the stations. And the order the shares come out, and the order the stations come out, will dictate the flow of the game. So each game functionally is unique, but once the game's in action, there's no everything more, is set. It, everything it, set. There's it, no randomization. Yeah. Okay. So big big fan of that. So it's here. a very variable setup but but fixed for once the game starts. Now without going into Uber detail, one of the key things in this 
is how shares are purchased. The share purchasing feels quite like Ponzi scheme. If you want another reference, it's not Neuheimatz. Uh, it's a kind of like an I slice, you choose kind of setup where when you buy the first share of a company you found it, you choose how much of your starting capital you stick in it. Simple as that. You now own the company. You get the share, you become the president. Absolutely. Um, if you buy a second share to secure your, your stranglehold on the company, then that's got a fixed cost and it's quite high. Okay. The clever bit for me, like the, the, the supremely clever bit, is when you're buying a share of somebody else who's the president. Okay, or more to the point, you select a share in somebody else's company. Because when you do that, you propose a price. Now, the president then has a choice. Do they let you put that money into the company, bar some overhead costs? And we'll. So you think you split it 50 50, and so 50% of your price goes to the company, 50% to the bank? Sure, sure. Although that's not the, that's not the kernel of cleverness. No, no. The no. kernel of cleverness is do you let your opponent buy the share or. Do you buy the share? And if you buy the share, instead of that half of the money that goes to the bank, it goes to the person who proposed the transaction. So functionally, you're increasing their capital to either maybe enhance their own companies, make a tax on other companies. And and, and coupled up with the way that the shares come out in that flop, you can be quite manipulative. Uh, You only get one opportunity to put things up for auction. Um, and until you, of, you a, know. of a given color, so if your if your proposal is rejected as a as a junior, for want of a better term, you can then pick another color and another color. But once yeah. you've run out of colors, once you run out of colors, yeah, you, 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 that's the end of your term. But ultimately, mm. yeah, you you've got a, possibly a couple of options depending on the way things are coming out in those columns, as we talked about earlier. Um, and and again, the ability to manipulate that and potentially pull money out of players' hands can be quite quite devious, or, or for other players to potentially put you in a difficult position. Because you know you want to defend your position, so presidency interestingly moves uh, on a tie in shares. Whenever mm. there's a tie, the person who has bought the most recent share to create that tie gets the presidency. And well, we'll touch on the importance of presidency a little bit later on. No, the, the other thing I want to talk to about the layers of this: if somebody gets a share off you on the cheap, the worst thing about that is—is is it well, not the worst, but a bad thing about it is the opportunity cost, right? Because not only have they got a share, which means continuous revenue throughout the game and then game value for the share price. It's also the fact they haven't put money into the company. The only way money realistically goes into the companies in big chunks is when people buy shares. So if I get the share off you for $200, Dave, I've only added $100 to the capital for the comp- to the um, treasury for the company and there's that doesn't get you a, a railway station. It gets you next to nothing. Yeah. I'm just I'm, I'm literally a leech at that stage. Yeah. The other thing, however, here's an interesting thing. It's subverting the 18xx format. Once everybody's done their share transactions, we move into the operating round, for want of a better term, where companies buy stations. It's not just the president that buys stations. Okay. Yes, anyone who's got a share in the company, a minor stakeholding, can transact for the company. And and when you're buying a station, uh, you know there's a purchase price uh, that you pay, which is usually a premium. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a revenue generating price which will get added to every run that you make, and some stations come with a number of shields on them, uh, and shields count towards value of shares at the end of the game. So you know you want to make sure, and again you can see see the way that, that the stations are available to the company. So you want to make sure the companies have got the right amount of money in to buy them because there's nothing worse than being the president of a company and realizing there's a really good city you want to add to your route, and you have no money in the company to do it. Well, you like you say you do as the president, right? 
maybe I buy that share on the cheap, not because I want to actualize any significant value out of it. Mm. Maybe I buy it because I'm going to waste the company's money on high cost, low return cards, and some of these do exist in the deck, or to open up cards in the uh, in the row of cards for my company, my challenger company to buy. Yeah, um, off it, your dollar. It can be quite brutal. Elbows out. You know, this is, this is definitely a conflicty type game. But you know, it it is quite a small package and doesn't play, does play quickly. So I don't think anyone's going three hours of feeling as though they're being beaten up constantly. Forty five minutes typically. Yeah. Well, I would say the other thing around that as well it's possible to collude so the flip side of that coin it's possible if I say well Dave well I'll let you have two shares in this company I'll have two shares in the company now here's the thing if you bring in a, a partner for one of a better term that company will get to operate twice in a, so subject in a to round. liquidity and capital constraints absolutely so if two of you can collude it can be a very powerful thing mm. but then it's that whole chicken thing right we'll collude until one of us can get the better of or, it or until the other players have had enough and, and, and yeah basically and buy in to ruin it either buy in to ruin it or, or try and take the stations you want and put them in other companies sure. uh, you know the, the good stations are pretty visible pretty obvious mm. and, and you say you're all battling for that same same little bit of real estate um, well, and the, thir- and the third phase is just to talk to how sure. things actualize. The third phase is doing the revenue payments. It's the run trains phase. Yes, yeah, the train. train game. It's getting the revenue right. So, how does that work? Well, you're going to add up all the green numbers on the cu- on the station cards you've purchased for a given company, and you're going to divide that between the shareholders. And there's a little bit of a roundup function for the president. So that is the value of being a president: is from the revenues, you're going to get a little bit more. Yeah, you you get the rounding in your favour as a president. So so you, so you may have been, uh, you know, hurt quite financially as part of the process of being forced to invest in a company. Again, I think we said earlier that you know if you're forced to buy a share in your company, the the price is fixed at a thousand. So that's, you know that's good because you're dropping five hundred in the company. Well, okay. Well, for context, you start the game with a free player game with about seventeen hundred. Yeah, yeah. So you know you can do it, but it's it's gonna you know it's gonna require a lot of financial movement. But but back to that run trace phase. You say you add it all up. You divide it amongst the shareholders. It rounds in the president's favour, and then if there's any surplus left over, it goes into the the coffers of the company. So there can be a little bit of a drip feed in there as well, but usually it's never enough to completely change the state of affairs. Um, and then obviously you run that through number of rounds. That's, that's dependent on either number of shares that have been sold out of that bank. Or, or number of cities. There's card clock, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, you can see those clocks quite visibly. And then there's a little bit of end game scoring. Um, I think at the end, where you're valuing your share portfolios up on up mm. top of cash in hand. Sure. Well, some of those station cards, like you mentioned earlier, will have shields on. If a company, if a company's network has five shields on it, each of the shares of that company are worth five hundred dollars each at the end of the game. So there's a there's a shield race. There's a revenue race. There's a few shareholding race as well. You yeah. know, there's lots, lots of things going on, lots to evaluate across the table. Yeah, I say I, I'm, I'm surprised how much I like this, Dave. The first time I saw it, you brought it out to a cafe with myself and Lindsay, and I looked at his beige box and I thought, this is just train obsessed, Dave, isn't it? <laughs> and this is going to be like the most boring. Langweilig thing on the face of the planet, and, and, and don't forget, I have the first edition, which also has the the wonderful misprint of the purple company having white trains. I've been cool. I, I, I think I've been. A lot they, of... they rectified that for your second edition, nice. um, and I could just paint my trains, but I'm too lazy. No, I, I've got some acrylics, Dave. If you ever really want someone to do it, I can crack on with that. I I was surprised at how much interaction there was in this pretty dull looking box. Okay, I I was surprised that 
for a limited number of moving parts, the, the, the intelligence of the interaction between players. I won't quite say, for me, one of the strongest, my, probably one of my few 10 out of 10 games is Neuheimat. As I keep referencing the estates, I should really expand on that a bit, Dave. So, in the estates, the player's options are dictated by a collection of multicolored blocks at the top of the playing area. Now, players can only interact with blocks from either end of the uh, display. And these blocks, they represent varying players' interests. So the first person to win a red block will become the red player. Uh, same for the white block, the blue block, etc. Now, on a turn, a player selects a block and puts it up for auction. In a bidder proposes the price, auctioneer dictates whether it's a buy or a sell action. So it kind of feels like the North American Railways share proposal transaction. Not the same, but similar. And also, if I win a block from some of somebody else's colour, it's perfectly plausible I may use it to advance my own interests without hurting them, or potentially use the block to hurt them directly. So, both the way it filters your options and the nature of the interactions inside the game strike me as very reminiscent. Although I will hasten to say that Neuheimat, come the estates, is significantly more opaque. Yeah, yeah. We, we both love that game. It's a fantastic game. Super game. Look it up. If you're going to look it up, it's been reprinted by Capstone Games under their Simply Clever line. It's called The Estates. It's which called The Estates. Be... Have a look at it. Really fab game. But the point I'm making with this, although this isn't a 10 out of 10 game, I won't lie, I think to a certain extent I could probably play this maybe maybe once a week and be pretty happy whereas Neuheimat I could pretty play I could play every night and be happy I love Neuheimat yeah or, or we sat down the other night and again as part of our prep for this episode mm. we played a couple of games back to back and, mm. and again there's that, that nice interesting element particularly if you sat around the table playing with the same players every time of reading the other players there's a bit of bluff and strategy there You've got some levers to manipulate players. So, for example, I remember in one of the games that I managed to put a share up for auction um, and it forced somebody to buy it. No, sorry, they forced me to buy it, mm. um, which was fine because I got the share at, at a sure. pretty pretty reasonable price. But then because of what was left and because of the column structure, they had no turn. There were no options on their turn. There were no shares they could put up because they were all companies they were, pre- uh, they were the president of. Um, and um, and they didn't have the money to buy those shares outright at a thousand. In fact, um, I do think that was your good lady wife that I did that to, and mm. so um, I'm sure she's probably not very happy with me at the moment. Oh, no, well, sure, <laughs> she, she can uh, she can compartmentalise when it comes to stuff like that. I'm sure she's got other reasons to be unhappy with you, Dave. The reality here is though, I don't think the depths on this are limitless. I think it's really good for a 45 minute game. Yeah. I think actually for the price point, for the length of time, it's great. It's great opener. It's great closer. Okay, I think that's where it fits for me. Yeah. Um, is, is this something you would? And so going back to the question we always ask when we're doing 18xx discussions, is this something you'd break out to to a new person? Yes, because the reason I would say I'd break out to a new person, and maybe I wouldn't break Neuheimat, which, like I say, similar brain space for me. This is not in any way obtuse or opaque. I think that once you've got half a game in with this, you know where the game is. Yeah, okay. I, th- I think there's a lot of a lot of to understand maybe on the first playthrough. So you want somebody who's going to be interested in the economically minded games and and that kind of thing. But but you know there is 
there's a wonderful balance in the complexity and as you say it's all open information mm. all visible other than money money's not player money isn't open information and and you know it works it works very well I think you know we're both big fans of it and, and well the game the reason I think it's okay for beginners Ryan I talk about that opaqueness the game defines the value okay in Neuheim Matt the players define the value and it's kind of this thing of well, is that worth 11 is that 12 well that'll depend on the play group yeah and, and, what, and the subtitle of Neuheim Matt mm. is building poker absolutely, isn't it absolutely. So, so it's absolutely there it's completely within the players and, and Whereas with this, at the end of the game, a share will have a pretty much fixed value, plus minus blah, depending on how many shields are available for it to buy. Yeah, and, and as, you can use that coupled with the revenue as a very good yardstick to say, I think this share is going to be worth this amount, and that's what I'm going to bid for it. Yeah, totally. It gives the player more cues as to what pricing they should establish with things. And I think that's positive for newer players. Yep. I also think that it's a good on-ramp to 18xx to a certain extent in that it will teach certain concepts like companies operating presidencies things like that i don't think it's not there's not enough to it to say it's a full intro warm-up type game in a weird way i think mini rails is better for that but that's by the by that's a future episode that's a future episode that's by the by however i think if you want something that scratches that itch plays in 45 minutes great game and do you know what? It's going to be about $20-ish, maybe $30. And, and for those of us who aren't in the US, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's a, it's about £20, £25, yeah. same price-ish in Euros. And I think, um, I think you know, most of our friends th- that we've played this with, and, and, and quite often they play 18xx with us, you know, everyone likes it. As you say, there's, there's a familiarity, a comfort level to it for an 18xx player. It fits perfectly as a as that opener, that end of the evening game, but with that little bit of depth and complexity. Um, so yeah, you know, I think it's well received. I'll, I'll try and give a well-rounded um, thing on it. Though. I will close out with some negatives on it, if I, if I may, Dave. The money it comes with, the paper money. I understand what comes with paper money because money is meant to be hidden in the game. It's pretty flimsy. Yeah. So I've replaced it with some um, from a friend of mine, Chris Phillips. He's got some playing cards you can order on Arts Cow that are money currency cards that you can use for any game. So I use those for this because that's harder wearing. It's still hidden. Whereas I've probably played my copy circa 12 times and the paper's getting quite tatty. Yeah, it, yeah. I think I've never used the paper on mine. I end up using, as you say, other sources of similar yeah. things, be it money cards or, 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 or you know, coins we've got small wooden coins you can sure. hold in your hand sort of thing anything that just means that it's the money player money is a hidden information yeah and that's fine it's to hit a price point that's acceptable yeah but it's to hit a price point the other complaint i heard of someone and i'm gonna i'm gonna relay it. i'm not sure it's completely legitimate they felt that when some when a junior proposes a share being at a certain price they felt that they, they said that felt weird why is the president not dictating the price why is someone who doesn't own the company dictating the price I think to a certain extent that's the product of being too literal. You have to accept it's a me- all these things are abstractions, they're mechanisms. Is it fun? It's not a simulation, right? No. Is it a game or is it a simulation? But I'd argue, I'd argue that's, simu- that's simulating uh, to some extent market forces. You know, the market will only pay what the market wants for a share. And so, so the player is determining what the market value of that is. And as you say, if the president doesn't deem that acceptable, then, then he does something else uh, or buys the share himself at a price, you know, mm. vice versa. You know, if he does deem it an acceptable value, then then he takes the offer and and the cash gets distributed. So it's a matter of how you look at it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think you see you can overanalyze some things, um, but but as you say, for what it is for a small footprint game uh, with a lot of depth uh, and a lot of replayability, 
then I think it ticks a lot of boxes uh, and we're both big fans. Cool. So I think, you know, we're just about to wrap out this episode. Hopefully you guys have stuck with us and you haven't run away because we haven't talked about an 18xx. But uh, I think, you know, we will have one of those coming soon. Um, we are we are working. I think, we you know, we looked at the feedback coming out of the poll that we'd put up and, and hopefully an episode will be with you soon on that front. And we've got a few other things that we're working on. So we're hoping well, to get some, some ho- more content with you. Hope doff butter no parsnips. We will be getting an episode out with you over the next couple of weeks. One of the things that did come back in the feedback was the kind of sprint release of the first two episodes. And everybody been hungry for more. So here's more. And don't worry, more is forthcoming. Yeah, we're going to try and do it as quickly as we can. And yeah, we'll be hearing from us fairly soon. So that is a goodbye from me and... A goodbye from me as well. If you'd like to contact us or stay up to date with what we're doing, there's a few ways you can do that. You can go to our website, thetrainrush.com. Alternatively, you could follow us on Instagram, the underscore train underscore rush, where I post many pictures of the games we're playing with a variety of wretched Instagram filters. You could follow us on Twitter, our handle being at the train rush. We're on Facebook. Just search for the train rush and we'll be the only thing you'll find. And finally, if you want to contact us directly and have a private chat, then feel free to email us info at the train We're supremely keen to hear from you be it just for general chat or with specific feedback on the show content or recommendations for future episodes. Thank you so much for listening to the show.